Welcome to Realising Your Potential, a leadership podcast from Accolade Wines. Accolade Wines is a leading global wine company with famous wine brands loved and trusted around the world, including Hardy's, St. Hallet, Grand Berge, Banrock Station, House of Arras and Echo Falls. The show was originally recorded for our people as a learning and development tool, but due to popular demand, it is now available on Spotify, Google Podcasts and many more. If you would like to contribute, ask questions, or just share some comments, please get in touch with Accolade Wines on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Ange Murphy, Chief People and Communications Officer. In this second series, I speak to some fantastic guests from our external networks who share their personal journeys, leadership tips and advice as we continue to build our high-performance culture. In this episode, I speak to strategic storyteller Bill Baker. Bill says he's been telling stories since he first learnt to talk to his grandparents, teachers, bus drivers, to the nice lady at the grocery store, and in fact, to anyone who would listen. I really enjoyed my conversation with Bill, and I hope you do too. So let's get started. Alrighty, Bill Baker, welcome to the Accolade Wines Realising Your Potential podcast series. I'm really excited to be speaking to you today. I obviously want to tell the listener that I met you when I was at a leadership um, course in Coca-Cola in Atlanta and I did a one-day strategic storytelling um, course with you. And subsequently, um, I think I'm a groupie because I've done your <laughs> training now three times. I love it so much. So welcome to You're very Lines. good at it. You're very <laughs> good at it. <laughs> I don't know. We we might do a little test run story in this podcast Maybe. and see whether or not I've got, I've improved, I've honed my skills. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to join you. We always start off with asking our guests to tell us a little bit about your own career. Um, you went from running a global marketing company to now being in the business of teaching others how to storytell. So can you just give us some insights into that journey? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, so, you know, I always tell people I'm a, I'm a recovering advertising executive because after I graduated from college or u- university uh, in the United States, I went to New York City and I worked in the advertising business for 10 years for like big agencies like Saatchi and Saatchi and Gray and managing big global accounts. And then I, I moved to Vancouver, Canada in 1998 and I continued and I was the managing director of the local office of DDB. But then uh, after about eight years of that, I got recruited by a storytelling company that was based in Vancouver, but I'd never heard of. And for me, it was like the dream job at the perfect time because it combined my love for marketing and communications, but more specifically brand and strategic planning. And it combined the discipline of that with the magic of storytelling. And so I, w- I was very blessed and felt very grateful to get this opportunity. And I, and I went there for, worked there for four years, but uh, unfortunately the 2008 meltdown, global meltdown, economic meltdown uh, caught up with them. And so they had a lot of financial troubles and it was not a sustainable job. And so I decided to step off the dock and and hang out my own shingle and start my own company. And I did that about 11 years ago and have never looked back since. Starting your own business and moving out of the comfort of, I suppose, a paycheck coming in week to week is, is a brave decision. Did you feel nervous when you made that decision? You say you've never looked back. What was that like? How did you manage that, those sort of emotions? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, I, I worked with a coach uh, who has since become a very good friend, but I worked with a coach to kind of help me figure out what I 
should do next because I knew the job I was in, as I mentioned, was not sustainable. And so I worked with her to figure out what that next move would be because I thought for me, I didn't want to go back into the advertising uh, business or the agency business. And I thought maybe I'll go client side. And through my work with her, she helped me realize that it was time for me to try out my own thing. But uh, was I nervous? Yeah. I was big time nervous and I was, you know, very, very hesitant. Um, but she helped me realize that it was the right decision for me. She didn't, you know, push me off the dock, but she gently kind of leaned me off the dock. So I would take that first step, but it was very nerve wracking. And one of the things I remember this, one of the things that she said to me, she herself having a very successful solo entrepreneurship type of business. She said to me, Bill, she's like, I have no, I, I have no doubt that you will be successful, but no matter how successful you are, you will always worry about not having enough business. You will always worry that it's going to dry up tomorrow. And that is indeed the case. Uh, I have learned to ride through downturns that have happened. And this, you know, last year being kind of a third downturn. Um, and I've learned to kind of ride through this and trust it's going to come back up, which it has. But uh, the first couple of years when business would slow down a little bit, it was quite nerve wracking and character building uh, at the same time. So it's, I would say it's not for the faint of heart starting your own business, but I'm so glad I did. When those moments happen and there is that downturn and how, how do you stay positive? How do you continue to, you know, forge forward? Because, you know, that, that happens in, in a paid job, doesn't it? That you get setbacks and um, you don't know quite what to do. Any tips or strategies about how you, you manage self and you manage through those harder times? I tell you one of my big mantras when, when I'm in that slower period, and, and again, this is the third time this has happened and I'm riding through it much better because I do have faith and I did have faith that it would turn around and lo and behold, it, it has, and it did. But the mantra that I have is actually something my partner said to me after the first time when I would sit there and just look at the email screen, waiting for emails to come in to approve a proposal or waiting for the business to come in. And my partner said to me, Bill, quit waiting, start creating, it, which was remarkably wise for him. But he said, quit waiting, start creating. And by that, I mean, he, he meant like quit just staring at the screen or staring at the phone and waiting for something to happen, make it happen. And so now what I do is, first of all, when the downturns have happened, um, I've used them to just take a, a much needed breather. Um, in 2019, I flew 275,000 miles around the world and I was literally on a plane uh, at least half the time and I was never, never home. And so uh, when the downturn happened in 2020, I, I took a bit of a break, but then I've been writing a lot. I've been working on our marketing and positioning. I've been working on my book. Uh, I've been working on new business models, uh, new training offerings, things like that, that I've always been meaning to do, but never had the opportunity to do. So I've been trying to stop waiting for things to happen and start creating things that are happening. Do you still use a coach when you need to? Or what was the value of the coach for you? I still reach out to her and, and, and God love her. She still reaches out to me. Like she's semi-retired or mostly retired now. But um, she always, she has become a very good friend and she instinctively knows, I wonder how Bill's doing. I bet this is kind of hard for Bill. So she, she always seems to reach out 
and just check in at the right time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll schedule a zoom and we just get on and have a glass of wine together. And she always asks me how I'm doing. And, and it's just to talk things through is a good thing. Um, but you know, at the same time to have someone that you can bounce things around with is really important. My life partner is also my business partner. Mm -hmm. So he runs the business. And so he knows the business quite well. I'm the guy out in front and I've got a team of people that I work with, but Brent runs the business. And so he's also very good, uh, you know, as a spouse, but also just to bounce things around with and uh, noodle things and, and consider things. And so I'm very grateful to have him to chat with as well. Yeah. And I would say that the one of the things that I really admire about you as well is, and again, it ties into to leadership is that you you're really good at relationships and building relationships. I mean, I think I met you back in Atlanta in 2017, 2016 yeah. at a one day and, you know, an amazing session. And then you and I have kept in touch personally and professionally all that time. So, you know, for me, it demonstrates, you know, great leadership character in you about how you manage relationships um, with those people. That, and I'm sure you engage with many, many people every day. Well, you know, just if I could to that point, because that, that was actually a big discovery for me when I started my own business, when everyone, anyone would ever talk to me about networking, I'd always kind of look at, look at it a bit judgmentally. And I'm like, I'm not a networker. I always think of networkers as like, hey, let's do drinks and hey, let's have dinner. Um, and that just wasn't kind of the person that I thought I was. And then when I started my own business, my business did very well, very quickly. And the reason it did very well, very quickly, and then by the way, it took a downturn. <laughs> so that trajectory <laughs> did not continue, but it, it did very well, very quickly. And what it made me realize is that I had by either design or default over the years built up a network unintentionally because I just genuinely like people. I like knowing people. I like getting to know people. I like friendships and relationships. And I, you know, people sometimes say you always stay in touch. And it's always nice when you, you read an article and you send it to me. And I said, well, cause I think of you, I read the article and I think, Oh, Andrew would like this. And I send mm. it to her. Um, but it's just like a natural instinct. But what I've come to realize truly, and I don't mean to sound mercenary in saying this is there is an advantage to doing that. I wrote a blog post on this a long time ago about never underestimate the power of just being a decent person that people like and like to work with. And I have been told before, um, you know, we talked, we were talking to three different consulting companies about our organizational brand story and uh, all three, including you put forward good proposals, but we're going with you because we, we just like you more. <laughs> Like we like you. And, and so being the type of person that people want to hang out with, um, who genuinely want to get to know you there, that's just a nice thing to do, I think, for karma and the world. But I think it's also there's there's actually can be a business advantage to it as well. Well, likability is a big part of leadership. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know if people like you, they will follow you. And, and, and it's a hard one to manage sometimes as a leader to be likable, but also hold that leader position and drive performance. But likability is a big part of, of, of leadership. It is, but it, it can't be. And I've learned this. I learned this the hard way when I started, like when I was a managing director of the Vancouver office of DDB, I had anywhere from 150 to 200 people I was responsible for. And as the boss 
Um, I enjoyed working with people. I knew everyone by name. I knew who their kids were and all that sort of stuff. But uh, my boss said to me, Bill, he's also very affable and very personable. He said, but Bill, it's great to, to get along with all these people, but you can never, ever feel uncomfortable having a challenging conversation with them fine, go out for drinks with them, fine, go bowling with them, fine, you know, have laughs with them and everything, but you can never feel uncomfortable having to be the boss at some point if you have to do that. So mm. I think likability, I think likability is, is a, a very important factor in leadership. But what I've learned more than anything is I think the one thing that trumps that is trust, that they trust, trust you, trust your intentions and trust who you are and what you're about. In your bio, I love it. You say that you've been telling stories since you first learned to talk. What is it that you love about storytelling? The, I think the thing that I love about storytelling is that it touches all the senses and it touches so many different aspects of an individual. I mean, there's the science behind storytelling, the brain science behind it, and how it literally lights up more and different areas of your brain than straightforward facts or messages. And that's why stories resonate with us. And, and quite frankly, why we remember stories where we forget all those facts and pieces of information we learned in school. But I love stories because they touch the head and the heart and they have a way of transporting people to different experiences, but also a way of connecting one person to another that ends up meaning something to both. Someone once said, and I wish it were me, but it wasn't, but someone once said that the shortest distance between two people is a story. And when we share stories with each other, one, we can do it strategically, as I teach people how to do to make sure you're telling the right story, but it is a deeply, deeply human activity. And when we're sharing stories with other people, we are leveraging this timeless craft of humanity to create stronger connections with the people we work with. And just as we were just talking about, when we have those stronger connections, when we not only know people, but like them a little bit more and trust them a little bit more, our work and our collaboration will be stronger as a result. I think that's the, the biggest thing that I, I appreciate about it is the humanity behind it, how it really brings the best of our humanity to life and connects with people in a very human way. And at the end of the day, you know, the one thing that all companies and organizations have in common, no matter what they make or what they sell, is they are all at their core human. Mm. Business is a human endeavor. We are the only mammals who do it. <laughs> like you don't see kangaroos or possums or cows doing business. We humans are the only ones who do business. It's a human endeavor. And storytelling, I think, is that big, timeless craft of humanity. I think when I have experienced someone who uses storytelling with me, there is an insight sometimes of vulnerability, helps you connect on a deeper level. Absolutely. Like I, I, and I think that that level of vulnerability, like I'm a, a big fan of Brene Brown, um, who has one of the, you know, the top five TED Talks of all time, but she studies vulnerability and, and other things like shame and fear and things like that. But she says that vulnerability, sometimes people think it's a mark of weakness, but it's actually just the opposite. It's a mark of courage. And the thing is, is when you share stories, 
it's a way of opening yourself up and letting people see a little bit more of the person behind the professional. It doesn't mean you have to spill your guts out on the table. It doesn't mean you have to break down into tears in front of everyone because that might actually be a little bit awkward <laughs> if you did that. But just the stories that you share with people, let them know a little bit more about you. One of the first things, for instance, I do in, uh, in my storytelling training workshop, and we didn't do this when I uh, took you through the training, but as a warm-up exercise, I have people just turn to someone next to them and share one of their favorite stories. It could be a favorite book, a favorite movie, a children's book, a story their grandmother used to tell them, and just share that favorite story. And I do that to not only show that we all have favorite stories, but also I, I acknowledge you just learned a little bit more about that person than you knew 10 minutes ago because, oh, that's your favorite movie? That's one of my favorite movies. It says something about that person. And when leaders are willing to be a little bit vulnerable with the people they work with, they show that they trust them by doing that. And in return, those people will trust them back twofold, threefold, fivefold as a result. Do you think that when you use storytelling, people remember the message better than when you have just a, I don't know what the word is, dialogue with them? Because it just sparked a memory when you said about the, your training sessions and you didn't do that in mind. I remember two very distinct stories you told in the session around one when you went off to summer camp to be a swimming coach and two, one about your grandmother and I think it was not putting your elbows on the table. And, you know, again, I think it was four or five years ago when good I did memory. that. Yeah, that course, but they stick in my memory. Either you're really good at your job or there is a power to storytelling. Which is it? Can you break the myth for me, Bill Baker? It's more that I'm really, really good at it. No, it's, it, is, it is more the power of storytelling and the brain science behind it. And I alluded to this earlier, but it has been proven that when you tell stories to people, because when I'm telling stories to you, I'm tapping into all your senses, not just you know, what you're hearing, but I'm, I'm painting pictures in your mind. I'm regurgitating feelings that you should be having. You're hearing things that I'm saying. Uh, it's, it's firing on all those cel uh, cylinders. And as a result, if you actually monitor brainwave activity, when people are hearing stories, all these different areas of their brains, all these different lobes in their brain are firing up versus when you are just having a dialogue or sharing straightforward facts and information, it still fires up your brain, but only one specific part of it. So the simple science behind it is that stories activate and use more of our brains, making our brains more active, more open, and more like a sponge versus straightforward facts and information. Yeah. I have to admit that when I saw storytelling as part of the leadership agenda when I was in Atlanta, I was kind of a little bit sceptical maybe and I didn't really know much about it. So, you know, when I first thought about storytelling, I thought, well, you know, I, I thought of them as more around bedtime stories or novels. How do you define it? it for in a business sense, great storytelling for in a business sense? First of all, the, the, the classic definition of storytelling that we propose is that storytelling is an exchange of meaning between people. And I think it has to be between people. I personally don't think it's a story until it's bounced off of someone else. It's like that old saying, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. <laughs> so for me, I think a story is not a story until it is shared with someone else. But you use stories, especially in a business context, to convey ideas, to bring messages to life. You use stories not just to tell any story, 
but I'm using stories strategically to shape the way an audience thinks, the way they feel, and most often to get them to do what I need them to do. This isn't about manipulating people with storytelling. It's about facilitating thought, feelings, and actions with storytelling. And it's just another way to communicate. Um, but I think when people start to understand storytelling, because trust me, I get a lot of sometimes the same sort of uh, skepticism and cynicism with people coming into my training, like, oh my God, what are we doing today? Storytelling, this touchy, touchy feely stuff. And they start to recognize first, it's a strategic exercise. It can be powerful in business. You have to engineer it. And it's kind of these nuts and bolts approach to it. It's not like we're all standing up and dancing around with scarves and tambourines sharing stories with each other. It's very business oriented, but they understand that this thing that has been happening for you know thousands of years can be used in business to, as I said earlier, influence, persuade, inspire people to get them to think what you need them to think and feel what you need them to feel to do what you need them to do. I will say as much as I love storytelling and as much as I practice storytelling, when I teach storytelling, I am always very clear with people and I say, listen, I am here just to give you one more communication tool for you to have in your tool chest. I will tell you right now, storytelling is not right for every single situation. Sometimes you just gotta tell it like it is and tell people what you need them to do, but it can be right in some form for a lot of situations, especially if you understand it and know how to use it. Mm. The other thing, Angie, I would say is the, another way to think about storytelling in business Think about using storytelling to help people understand the why behind the what. So as an example, you know, maybe uh, me and my team have been working on a new business case. We have worked long and hard on it. We're getting ready for our half hour presentation to my boss's boss's boss to try to get approval on this business case and the funding for it. And at the start of that business case presentation, I might say, hey, thank you very much for your time. We've got you for a half an hour. I'm gonna walk you through a business case that me and the team have been working on. We're very, very excited about this. But before I dive into the details, the what of this business case, let me tell you a quick story about the problem that this business case is gonna solve. And then I tell a story about a customer problem or opportunity that brings to life the why behind the what of the business case. So stories are a really good way to illuminate that why and help people understand it. And when you do that, they will be much more receptive to the what and the how. So storytelling is an age-old craft. Is it something that comes natural to all people or is it something that we, we need to learn? It's, it's a little bit of both. Storytelling is a skill. It's a craft. And so like any skill, it can be learned through instruction. It can be sharpened through coaching and it can be mastered through practice. And I, I stress that a lot with storytelling because I think far too often, especially in a business setting, people psych themselves out of storytelling. They think, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a really good storyteller. There is no way I'm telling a story in a business situation. So they just stick to the facts. But what I say to them is, no, you already are a storyteller because all of us have been telling stories and hearing stories all of our lives, all of us. Unless you've lived on a rock your entire life all by yourself, everyone has grown up with storytelling. So we all kind of sort of know how to do this anyway because we've been doing it all our lives. I just wanna help you do it with more intent, with more focus and more impact. And so one of the things that I do with my training is I kind of 
literally take people by the hand and say, I'm going to teach you how to approach this. I'm going to teach you how to develop stories, think about stories, think strategically about them, and then deliver them in an effective way. And I say to them, you do not have to be the most gifted, talented, amazing, engaging, compelling storyteller in the world to tell the right story with the right message and make it a good story. And don't get me wrong, if you're a natural kind of talented storyteller, that's the icing on the cake, but it's not as important as people think. If you tell the right story with the right message and you put some work into that story to make sure it's focused and you practice that story, that is 80 to 90% of it. What are some of the things that I should avoid if I want to use storytelling? So I'm thinking so I don't come across as too cheesy maybe <laughs> um, in my storytelling. What are some of the things I should avoid? That's a, that, that's a really good question because, you know, it is a power. Storytelling, it's a powerful thing. And like all powers, it's, its powers can be used for good and for evil. And so I'll tell you some of the traps that people fall into with storytelling. The First and foremost is the storytelling has to be genuine in its intent. You cannot use storytelling because we've seen, we've seen throughout history, regimes and dictators and leaders use storytelling to manipulate people, to uh, shape the way they think and feel, but for a nefarious purpose. And it, it can't be that. It can't feel manipulative. It can't be manipulative. Now, most people recognize when they're being manipulated, their BS meter goes off. And when that happens, they kind of have an intellectual gag reflex. So you won't build trust. You'll actually erode trust. And I will mentally shut down and not listen to you anything you say. But it really does need to be genuine in its intent. Even if the story is about you, even if the story is about you, your telling of that story isn't about you. You're telling this story because you genuinely want your audience to get something meaningful and significant out of this exchange more than you care about praise or credit. And so it really has to be all about your audience. As one of my colleagues once said to me, a guy named Paul who taught me a lot about storytelling, he said, uh, even if the story is about you, you're not the hero, your audience is the hero. Your audience is always the hero, it's always about that. So it can't be manipulative. Instead, think about it, as I said earlier, think about it as being facilitative. I'm sharing a story to facilitate the way you think, not manipulate it. That's one thing. The other trap people fall into is they think of a story in the moment, on the spot, and they just start verbally delivering that story. Now, if you're doing that in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, not as high stakes, if you mess that story up a little bit, it's not, not the end of the world. But I would never do that in an important presentation or a meeting. Because when you are verbally delivering a story, while you are mentally composing that story, it rarely, if ever, goes well. You have to be super talented to make that work. I can't make that work. So uh, I might do that at the dinner table or at the bar, but I don't do that in a meeting. So another key mistake people make is don't, they don't realize as a skill, as a craft, you have to prepare, you have to think about it, and then you actually have to practice your stories. And when I say practice, I mean practice like mm -hmm. out loud, you know, to yourself, driving in the car, walking the dog. Uh, it makes a big difference. But the more you practice it, like any skill, like learning a song on the piano or learning a new move in sport, it gets better with practice. And then the last thing, so the third thing I would say is to make sure your stories are true stories, but in business situations, they have to be tight, efficient, and focused. 
Um, they can't go on and on and on. They have to like have good momentum, drive towards a point and be well worth people's time. And, you know, I've experienced what you say about they have to be tight and also you need to practice them. So there was one in, in the session, the first session I did with you, I remember you asked us to write down a story that, you know, I think, I think it might have been a, a leadership story. I can't remember exactly what it was. You know, and I thought my story was pretty good and I told it and then you told it back to me and then it was almost like, you know, I should have given your version to Scorsese, yeah, because it could have been a, you know, great movie. <laughs> Um, so it's not something that I think that you can just, you know, just one day go, Hey, Hey team, I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah. That you do need to put some thought and time into the way that you want to use this skill in your day-to-day leadership. Am I correct? Yeah, no, the, the thing I always say is, is you have to be willing to put some work into that story to make sure that story is going to work for you. Meaning that you have to be willing to spend some time to, first of all, think strategically, to make sure you are telling the right story with the right message that's gonna be relevant to your audience, not just to you. So thinking strategically to find the right story with the right message, then putting some work into composing that story, mapping it out, even maybe in some cases, I often do this as I write it out and then practicing it. It doesn't take a ton of time. You know, For me, when I'm developing a story, for instance, for a keynote presentation, um, like all totaled, it might take it might take me about 30 minutes. I think strategically, I identify the story, I map it out, I practice it several times. But I, I would imagine if I added up all the time I spend on it, it might be 25 to 30 minutes. So it's not a ton of time, but you do have to spend some time. Yeah, and I find, I mean, I'm similar. When I'm preparing for a presentation or an interview, you know, I write out what I want to say and then I kind of read over it and I find that practice also helps me tighten up the story a little bit because you reread mm-hmm. it and go I don't really need to say that or I can these are the key points I want to get a, so that so that practice is actually quite helpful even in refining and tightening your story I find personally it really is and and you know the fact is is when you're practicing out loud you are firing different synapses in your brain than versus just reading it a lot of times people think well I'll just read it I'll read it on the plane uh, to the meeting Uh, And that helps, don't get me wrong, but nothing takes the place of actually practicing it, how you're gonna deliver it. And because you're gonna deliver it out loud, you have to practice it out loud. So storytelling's not for every situation, is it? No, not at all. when, When would you say it would be best to use storytelling? I think, I think storytelling is, you know, as I was saying earlier, I think in a business setting, storytelling, like a business presentation, storytelling is really good. Uh, I usually start with it in a business presentation to kind of set the stage for what I'm going to present, help people understand the why behind the what, pave the way for my audience to be more receptive to what I'm about to present. Or sometimes I tell a story to remove a mental or emotional barrier that I know that my audience or the chief decision maker in that audience is going to have to what I'm proposing. Like for instance, let's say I'm proposing something, a business case that I know is quite innovative. It's a little risky. It's out of the box. And the person I need to get approval from, I know this person, I've worked with him a long time. He is quite risk adverse. Doesn't want to do anything that's remotely risky. That's a barrier that I need to remove in order for him to be more receptive to what I'm proposing. Otherwise, he's just going to keep thinking, this is too risky. This is too risky. This is too risky. So 
maybe at the start of that presentation, I say, I'm going to present a business case to you. We have thought long and hard on this. We've done careful analysis on it. But listen, I'm going to tell you like it is. It's risky, but it is a calculated risk. But before I dive into the details, when I was thinking about risk, I was thinking about this story. And maybe I tell a story from business, from history or whatever, that shows that fortune favors the bold or that shows that sometimes calculated risks are worth taking. And that lowers that barrier. So that's a really good time to use it. It's also a good time as a leader to use it to kind of pick a team up. If I see a team that's struggling, if I see a team that's really having a hard time with some change we're going through, if I see a team that is just fatigued to death with what's going on with COVID and they need a little bit of a pep talk, I might tell a story. You know, it's no accident that in all the great movies about sport and the, you know, the halftime in the locker room, the coach gives a, a pep talk and nine times out of 10 has a, a story worked into that pep talk. So that's a good time to do it as well. And then the last thing I would suggest is sometimes when I need to do a little course correcting as a leader with someone on my team who needs that course correcting, I could just sit there and say, and Jeanette, you're doing this and you got to stop doing this because you're driving everyone crazy. <laughs> that would never happen, Ange. But um, oh, you never know. Yeah, you never know. You're going to get immediately defensive. But instead, if I tell a story about me struggling with something that you're struggling with right now, you'd start to recognize in the middle of my story, oh, he's talking about me, isn't he? But it is a much more benign, less threatening way to pull them into that conversation instead of shoving them into that conversation. So those are three examples of good times to, to use it. Who are some of the people that you look to when you're thinking about great storytellers? You know, I think one, one person that you probably know um, is Simon Sinek. You know, mm. Simon Sinek is, is, he's just such a brilliant thought leader. And what I love about him is when he says things and shares thought leadership, it's so brilliant and on point, but also beautifully obvious. And a lot of times he'll say something, I'm like, damn, I wish I'd thought of that first. Um, Cause it makes so much sense, but he uses a lot of stories in his talks to bring ideas to life. You know, other, like I'm a big Ted talk fan. So I get you know, a weekly email with curated TED Talks, and I don't look at all of them, but I look at a lot of them, but 99% of great TED Talks have stories in there. They have to. I mean, that is part of the TED Talk formula is telling stories. I mentioned earlier Brene Brown, who is such a thought leader on um, vulnerability and shame and fear, and she is a beautiful, beautiful storyteller. But then in the world of business, um, you know, in kind of from your own history, um, James Quincy, who is now the, the CEO of Coca-Cola. Yeah. Um, he, he's a great storyteller. He's mm -hmm. actually kind of more of an introvert kind of guy, a uh, little bit more, you know, technical and financial, but he can tell a really good story. Mm. Um, you know, his counterpart, well, she's now retired, but Indra Nui, um, the former CEO of PepsiCo is a brilliant storyteller. Mm. She tells great stories about business, but she also tells, you know, we talked about vulnerability before. She tells incredible stories about her struggles, challenging her challenges, balancing being a CEO with being a wife and a mother and a daughter and a daughter-in-law um, and tells really amazing stories to bring that struggle to life. So those are, those are just a few. And if you want a book, um, uh, eventually, eventually someday I will uh, finish mine. But while that is still in development, 
Um, one of my favorite storytelling books is there's two. One is called The Story Factor by a woman named Annette Simmons. And it's a little bit more academic, uh, a little bit more technical, but it is kind of the Bible of storytelling in leadership communications. And then on the flip side of that, another book is uh, called The Storytelling Animal by uh, a professor named Jonathan Gottschall. And it's, it's more anecdotal, it's, it's funnier, but it speaks to, as I was saying earlier, how it's called the storytelling animal because it, it, it speaks to how storytelling is such a prevalent and timeless craft of humanity and how it's so interwo interwoven with our lives and always has been. What's the story that's had the biggest impact on you? Can you pick one? I have a library of stories that I referred back to again and again. Some of my own experiences. I think you you do rem you uh, referenced this earlier. My grandmother, uh, my father's mother, um, was well. Actually, both my grandmothers, but my father's mother in particular was an incredible storyteller. And we grew up with her stories. And the thing that I realized about her stories, and we would get her to tell the same stories again and again and again because she was very gifted at it. Her stories were always entertaining and engaging. But now looking back on her stories, I realize that her stories always made a point that made a change in the way we saw a situation, the way we felt about that situation, and very often the way we behaved as a result. And so you reference the story that she told to get me to take my elbows off the dinner table and recognize the importance of good manners. And they stuck with me. They mm. really did. I remember so many stories that she told. And, and, and not only do I remember them, but I now recognize um, the power that they've had in my life and how that power has been timeless and never, ever gone away. No, no, I love that story that she, that was, that was the best. So it's had an impact on my life as well. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, we are talking about podcasts. Are you a podcast fan? Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, I do. I like, I, you know, um, I, I like to listen to podcasts when I work out. I like to listen to them when I'm on long drives. Um, so, you know, I, what I listen to is there's, there's some go-tos that I always listen to. Like um, uh, This American Life is, is one of my favorite. It's from, uh, produced by a guy named Ira Glass, uh, National Public Radio in the United States. But This American Life comes out every week and they always pick a theme and they do a, a wonderful job with it. I'm also a big fan of Alec Baldwin. Uh, the actor, um, and you know, he's he's very political, and he's a great interviewer. And um, he has a he has a podcast called Here's the Thing, and he will interview luminaries and thought leaders, from politicians to entrepreneurs to like you know Debbie Reynolds, God rest her soul. Um, so his his catalog is really really good. I, I always you know also love probably like everyone a good serial podcast that takes a story and and fleshes it out over eight or nine episodes. Like you know so in the dark is a really good serial podcast uh, or unfinished does a really good job of that. I, I'll tell you one that I um, for your listeners that I just got tuned into and maybe because they interviewed me but it's called the biz dojo. So B I Z D O J O. So the biz dojo and they, you would like this Ange. Um, they're, they're based in Calgary in Canada, but they interview entrepreneurs and people who are just kind of putting themselves out there and uh, from chefs to philanthropists to 
business leaders uh, and they're first of all, great interviewers and the people they're getting on are not really people that you or I would have heard of, mm. but I always learn something in listening to their podcast. So that's, that's uh, the biz dojo. Mm. I'll check that one out. And one uh, final question because, and it's the thing I'm actually very passionate about is the importance of looking after your physical and mental health through um, daily activity. How important is physical activity for you and in keep, keeping your sort of self, you know, mentally and physically fit? Very. Like for me, um, I, like when I was traveling so much, uh, you know, I would still, the one thing I said to myself that I'm not going to give up is my physical health and well-being. And so, um, you know, I was always, I always, even though I was traveling a lot because I flew so much, I was at the highest level status with Air Canada. And so most often when I was traveling, I could travel well, meaning that I would, you know, I was able to upgrade with a coupon. I was able to go to the lounge and so kind of take care of myself in that regard. But I would also make a point of like, if I had something that was starting at 8.30 in the morning and I had to leave the hotel by eight to get there, I would get my butt out of bed at 5 a.m. so I could go and work out beforehand. Um, I'm a big, I work out a lot. I work out in the morning because I know if I don't work out in the morning, it's not going to happen. And I have, as a result, become an early riser. But the other thing is, I will mention is that, um, I, I, and I think you remember this, but uh, I, I had a horrible accident about five years ago and I, I broke my neck in six places mm. in uh, uh, an, an angry wave, picked me up in Mexico and slammed me on my head. And I was almost paralyzed. And so I was um, immobile for quite a while and then in a neck brace for even longer. And during that time, I learned to meditate or I started meditating. And one of the things that me and my partner try to do every day, we usually do it every weekday. We don't, we're not as good at it on the weekends is we meditate and we just meditate for 10 minutes. It's a guided meditation that we, I have on my phone. I, I know it by heart now, <laughs> but it's a guided meditation. And then after that, we each say three things that we're grateful for. We each say three intentions that we have for the day. And then we each say three intentions that we have for longer term. And, you know, sometimes when my partner says, okay, let's meditate, I will roll my eyes, but I always feel better after I've done it. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is just starting every day, especially with a little bit of gratitude and a little bit of intention. Uh, I find that it's it's done a lot to take me out of bad moods when I wake up grumpy. And I find it's done a lot to put me on the right course for the day, if not for the week or the month and everything that follows. Thank you so I've much. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. No, I, I've really enjoyed it. And thank, thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always to chat with you. So, um, I, you know, I would just encourage anyone who like wants more information, you can uh, send them to my blog. I blog on a regular basis about storytelling and leadership communications, organizational culture, and everything in between. Well, that brings an end to my conversation with Bill. There are some really great messages in that, and the things I'm going to think about are, how do I use storytelling to increase connection with my team? The importance of relationships and networking, Likeability is part of leadership, but more importantly, do my team trust who I am, trust what I'm about, and trust my intentions? Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you found it interesting and it sparked your curiosity to find out more. 
We have plenty of materials and resources to support this episode, so remember to check the show notes. For more leadership content, subscribe to the podcast and follow Accolade Wines on LinkedIn. These podcasts would not be possible without a super production team. Big thanks to the team at Martino Consulting for producing this series of Realising Your Potential. Mm -hmm.